You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning, Bucknutters. It is Sunday, May 24th, 2020. I am Dan Rubin. This is Bucknuts Almost Live, our sporadic weekend podcast. We will be joined in just a minute by ESPN's Heather Dinich to talk about the coronavirus situation and the season ahead, as well as some Ohio State stuff. But I want to remind you, if you have yet to give us a five-star review on iTunes, please do so right away and leave us a question or a comment. And if you have yet to sign up for text alerts, This is the way to get breaking news right to your phone. It is available for all registered users. We hope you take advantage of it. Now, let's get to our guest. As promised, Bucknutters, we are joined by Heather Dinich, ESPN senior writer, the face of the college football playoff coverage, and one of the lead reporters on the coronavirus situation. Heather has had a storied career. She was the one who interviewed Bob Knight at Indiana. She's worked at the Baltimore Sun, the Annapolis Capitol, the Center Daily Times, and like I said, ESPN. But I think she would tell you the most influential part of her career was a six-hour stint at the Journal Newspapers in the early 2000s, working for me. Heather, how are you? I'm good. How are you? It was a memorable moment in my career, and I'm so sorry. Back in the day when there were newspapers and there was civilization, the D.C. area had a large chain of suburban newspapers called the Journal Newspapers, where we covered high school sports and the Redskins. I hired Heather to ironically cover PG County. For those of you who saw the documentary on Showtime, she probably would have been on that. About six hours later, I got a call, and she had gotten a better offer at the Annapolis Capitol. And obviously, the Journal was the springboard to the rest of her career, so we're not going to take too much credit Mm. for it. For those of you who like inside baseball, Jeff Ehrman replaced her, and he is now the Maryland guy for a 24-7 sport. So all wasn't lost. Heather, you were just on the air talking about the college football situation with the coronavirus. If you could just bring us up to speed, it does seem like the same people you were talking about for the playoff are now the guys you're talking about for coronavirus, et cetera. Well, I I think that it's... There are a lot of unknown questions, but everybody that I've talked to from Power Five commissioners and athletic directors want to do this in uniform fashion and on time. When they talk to each other, they're not always necessarily on the same page with everything, but with that, they are. But I think as you see teams and conferences start to return to these voluntary workouts, I get the sense it's sort of a a microcosm of what we're going to continue to see because it's different in the ACC. The schools are allowed to make their own decisions as to when they allow student athletes to return for those workouts. You saw Gene Smith at Ohio State announce before anybody that the Buckeyes were coming back on June 8th for voluntary workouts, but then you have the Big 12 announcing collectively as a conference June 15th and the SEC collectively. June 8th. So I think as we continue to move forward, no one knows what this is going to look like in the fall. Um, But I do think it will continue to vary. The question is how much at that point? I've seen some projections say some teams will play 12 games, some will play 10. Do you believe there will be a disjointed season in that fashion? 
Well, that's the thing. And I, I don't know the answer to that question. I think if they can decide together with the help of the football oversight committee to say, we're all going to play 10 games, that's what we're going to try to do. Then I think that they'll work together to make that happen. But at the same time, if you have an athletic department like TCU and their athletic director, Jeremiah Donati told me this, if he can play all 12 games, he's going to, because financially he needs that money, right? And he has talked to his non-conference opponents. So I think there's going to be some push and pull from different schools in terms of scheduling. And it, and it, and it might be more difficult than it seems to come to a conclusion as to how many games everybody's going to play. Um, and, and there's also the possibility that you get into the season and you start it and there's a second wave of infections or one team has to forfeit. How does that work in the grand scheme of evaluating these teams? Um, so, you know, I don't know for sure that they're going to shrink their conference schedules, but I, I do think that still at this point, as we're talking here in May, everything remains on the table. Is Gene kind of a trendsetter on this or is that Ohio State just doing their own thing? No, I think it's fair to say that because, you know, heading into the SEC meetings, I don't think that everyone in that conference was on the same page as far as when they wanted to open. Um, you know, sources had told us that some were in favor of June 1, some wanted June 15, some wanted July 1. So I think that Gene coming out and really being the first to say, we're okay with this on June 8th, you know, maybe maybe it got into other people's heads a little bit and really started to get the ball rolling that, okay, this can be done and it's okay to make a public announcement that this is the direction that we're heading. But I will say that I have gotten two copies of plans for students to return to these facilities. And they're from Power Five conferences um, and they are extremely thorough and detailed as far as um, the procedures for getting into the facility, the the cleansing of the equipment and all of that. Um, so these universities, as they announce this, certainly have tangible plans on paper and protocol that they're going to be following for the, the health and safety of the student-athletes. In terms of dates, do you think they have a timetable or like a drop-dead date for when they'd want to start the fall? Do they have a plan for the spring? It's all being played by ear, but at the same time, Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby has told me that they need to be up and running by mid-July in order for the season to start on time. And I thought that was a very strong statement and an important one because it's also very realistic. I have talked to numerous coaches throughout the country who tend to agree that that six to eight weeks is critical in terms of an adequate amount of time to get players properly prepared in physical condition to play a football game. And you have to remember, they're all coming from different places right now. Some have been on, on campus apartments, as Gene Smith pointed out. Not all of them are at home but they all have access to different things in different facilities in order to get everybody back on the same page at the same fitness level while also continuing to teach them. If you continue to back it up from August 29th, which is the tentative start date, you're looking at mid-July for, okay, this is really kind of the optimal and, and last chance window that we have 
But that being said, everyone has also acknowledged everything's a moving target right now as far as dates and things are constantly changing by the week, by the day, new information um, and different results and all kinds of things. So we'll see where we are by then. But I think that's the only concrete date that I've heard as this is where we need to be and when in order for things to start on time. Let's talk a little bit about the season. Ohio State is a team that definitely, as they sit here today, has plans to return to the college football playoff. Assuming everybody is healthy and coming back and we've all gotten over the deal here and gotten our fitness level back, who do you think are the leading squads heading into the season for the college football playoff? Do you even try and think about that? Or are you trying to go in totally unbiased and not have any preconceived notions, given the fact you're going to be talking about this about the next nine months at least? Well, I think to a certain extent you have an idea, but I also think that everything coming to a screeching halt has sort of upended any realistic predictions. I mean, you look at Louisville, and they had seven spring practices in. Does it really matter? Eh, maybe, probably not, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And does it matter June 1st versus June 15th or whenever other teams might return for voluntary workouts. I don't think those big picture things matter. But I, I do think that when you start talking about when can teams actually return to start practicing in the summer, that's when I think you get a more realistic picture of where everybody is. I mean, you know, coming off of last season to a certain extent, absolutely. You have to put Ohio State in the picture for a preseason contender for this year's college football playoff. But at the same time, what happens if other programs can't get back into summer workouts as at the same time as Ohio State? You know what I mean? It could be different situations for, for different teams. So I think as far as predictions go, at this point, it's, it's really hard. Um, Lincoln Riley's done a great job at Oklahoma. My question for them is can they finally – make a difference and make the leap rather from semifinal to actually winning the thing. And if so, how do they do it with a, with another new quarterback? Um, I'm trying to think, you know, Clemson obviously has to be in the mix. Trevor Lawrence is, is an outstanding player who should be in the Heisman conversation. Um, Oregon to me took a major step forward last year, but what can Utah do? And they, can they finally get over the hump? Can the PAC 12 be relevant again? I think there are a lot of questions. And then, of course, Alabama. Alabama is always in the conversation, and, and it should be. But Nick Saban, from what I've been told and what I've heard, isn't in any rush to, to force this either. And, and there's an important part of the learning curve as well for all of these players who have lost – or, excuse me, teams that have lost a lot of talent to the NFL like LSU. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. So when it comes to coverage on ESPN and Ohio State, they like hand you a memo and let you know what points to hit on to get everybody fired up. It's all choreographed. It's just kind of for ratings. <laughs> yeah, you know, if um, if I if I could just make stuff up all day, my job would be so much easier. But um, that's not it's not really the way it works. And you know, I think that one of the 
fun things, this is true, one of the fun things about my job is that I get to talk and write about a bunch of different teams. And it's, it's usually 90% of the time, it's the top 25 teams, which means there are at least 25 different fan bases that don't like me on any given day, possibly all on the same day. And I'm quite okay with that because there's no way that I would have lasted this long in this career if I read my mentions on Twitter or let those things seriously get to my head. There have been times where I have just turned off my phone and, and I'm, I'm pretty good about doing that. And I don't have notifications on, on Twitter, on my phone. So it's not like it's pinging all day long. And that is definitely in part for my sanity. Just being a woman in the business, your Twitter account's probably a little bit gross. And then college football <laughs> fans can be a little interested in the topic. Kept an eye on you, obviously, since our long and storied six-hour career together and been impressed with <laughs> the, your ability to handle that. You've got three kids. You're juggling all that. You're kind of really mm -hmm. doing the, the mom thing and the public thing. Has that been a, a challenge? It's not easy, I can tell you that, but my husband is awesome. It's probably more difficult for him than it is for me because during a normal college football season, um, I fly up to ESPN every weekend to do studio work, and he's back here with our, our three children holding down the fort, um, but you just, it's like anything else in life. You just figure it out, and you keep getting it done, and I'm, I'm really lucky to have the family that I do because we have a, a great support group and we get it done together. What's it been like at ESPN and to be in the spotlight? Quite honestly, most people don't recognize me unless I'm walking into a, a football stadium like Ohio State. Then people recognize me. Um, it's funny, my, my son always asks me, Mommy, are you famous? And I tell him, no, I'm not famous. Katy Perry's famous. Somebody who's famous is when you walk into a room or you walk somewhere and everybody recognizes you. And I was like, you've been with me and we walk around and people don't recognize me. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. He's like, but you're on TV, so you're famous. I'm like, no, that doesn't mean it's not, it's not like that. So we have that conversation and just how we live, it's our, it's our normal. Um, when I was, when I'm on TV, my my kids know that they, they have to be quiet and I keep my fingers crossed and hold my breath and I'm not the next meme and, and then we move on. <laughs> Let's finish with this. You have a really unique spot in the way you view the country college football wise. How do you view Ohio State fans versus the rest of the mix? I think Ohio State fans are, are super passionate. I think they are much like a lot of other college football fans that are constantly in the mix and constantly in the news and I appreciate their passion and for every five fans that are screaming at me there's always somebody who's like hey you're doing a great job I get it you know and and I see those comments and um, I know that there are also rational fans out there who just really love their team I understand how much sports plays a role in people's lives I see it when I'm flying home from Connecticut from ESPN and there are people watching the NFL games on Sundays on the planes and they're cheering and it's a part of who we are. It's a part of our identity. And I think everyone in Columbus has a lot to be proud of because I can tell you for as much as Ohio state fans like to yell at me on Twitter, I have a great relationship with a lot of the people there, including Gene Smith, our athletic director. He's been amazing to work with. Ryan day is a normal human being and a great mm -hmm. coach. And I always enjoy talking to him. Um, and I remember, him from when I covered the ACC and I covered Boston College and, and he was there so we're we're both around the same age and have kids and and you know he's 
like I said, he's normal. So I think you guys have a great coach and a great program and a lot to be proud of and are just like any other fan base that I come across that truly loves their team. And I get that. We appreciate her stopping by. Her time is obviously very valuable. I probably couldn't have pulled this off if she didn't feel a little bit guilty about leaving me at the altar with Jeff Ehrman. <laughs> we appreciate her stopping by. <laughs> have a good one, Bucknutters. <laughs> <laughs>